Welcome back to episode 12 of the Charge It Up show. In this episode, we interview Ben Finelli, who is an incredible human being with one hell of a story to tell. He took one of the hardest hits in OHL history, which brought him to a near-death experience. We talk about his past experiences and amazing recovery, but most importantly, we discuss his consistent success and optimism on the future. Without giving everything away, make sure to check out the link in the description to his podcast called The Heroic Minds Show. Lastly, we are officially partnered with Amazon, so if you ever need anything on Amazon, make sure to do it through the other link in the description. Without further ado, we hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did. Welcome, welcome. Today's guest is Ben Finelli. Um, how are you doing? What's what's going on? Uh, it's been an interesting time, obviously, during this pandemic, but it's been uh, honestly a time to do a bunch of things I've never done before and connect with old friends. So I've tried to leverage it as an opportunity. Uh, so things, to be honest, aren't too bad. Hard to say that when when things are you know tougher for some. There's, I wish there was more that I could do for others that, that maybe aren't as well off right now. But to be honest, quite uh, it's been a good time so far. For sure. Yeah, I just want to give yeah. you like a quick compliment. I uh, Ever since we started this podcast, this um, this break, or not really break, but this quarantine, um, you're just a super inspiring guy. And I, it's just really surreal for to have you on and been uh, checking up in all your, your podcasts with, um, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that later, Heroic Minds, and uh, really feel everything that you're doing and your story is amazing. So can't wait to get into it. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. So are, are we ready to hop in now, guys? Yeah, for sure. Little so, intro. So we obviously want to focus the podcast like a lot of on the hero heroic minds. But what we do with all the hockey players is for the people listening. Can you just run us through your hockey career so far? Or not so far, but can you just run us through till we don't need to get into details, but just run us through quickly so people know who maybe don't. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I was I grew up playing minor hockey in Oakville and then started playing in the GTHL when I was, I want to say 11 or 12, played a few years there and then was lucky enough to be drafted to the Kitchener Rangers and was, uh, I'd say, was a hopeful of playing professional hockey one day. There was a bit of a experience when I was 16. So first six games into my OHL career as an underager, unfortunately ended up in the hospital uh, was hit and very fluke injury that, that rendered me yeah in the hospital waking up to news that I'd, I'd never play sports again wouldn't go to school for years and may be a different person than I was the first 16 years of my life and to be honest that is mo- the scariest part what came after that was that my brain was bleeding in three different places so that was a tough pill to swallow to say the least when you know, I had tunnel vision on, on sports, being a professional athlete, and, and that was going to be no longer. Long story short, was was lucky enough to return to play two years later. Obviously, that two years was a long, long story, lots of ups and downs and life experiences, but w- was able to get back to playing, which was a blessing, and more importantly, just to be healthy again and, and healed, more important than, than getting back to playing. So I did manage to play three more years with the Rangers, was lucky enough to go to camp with the New York Rangers, which was a great experience. I was humbled and honored to be the captain of the Rangers my final year, uh, which was not given to me through points or skill. It was it was other qualities I you could see from the stats. Uh, so that was an amazing opportunity. And then finally decided it was time to move on from playing. The life experiences I got from from playing were outstanding and 
that's I knew it was time. I just nothing that made it easier that I wanted to. It was just the right time to move on. And I've been trying to, you know, I wouldn't say I'm totally over that that uh, part of my life. I think it's still something I'm working through, uh, but definitely trying to shift that approach to to chasing something and, and having a dream to what I'm now doing today, which it's it's you know shifting over to this dream of what we may talk about on this podcast. For sure. Yeah, it definitely sounded like you bounced back pretty hard and made the best of it. Yeah, yeah. So. A lot of, I, I was just gonna say I wouldn't have I wouldn't be talking to you guys today if it wasn't for the community around me. Um, you know, I went home from the hospital and ironically but my mom hated the game of hockey. Her biggest nightmare came true, unfortunately. And uh, for her, but her, what she was thinking after about a month and a half of being home when I started to get back to myself, it was her idea to, to move back with the team. Just having a sense of even in my first two months with the team, the caliber of, of the community and the quality of the program that I was lucky enough to be in with the Rangers, that, that support I was in for two years, not only the community, but my teammates, my coaches, uh, was the reason I recovered. So it, it really goes without saying that if I didn't have that, I wouldn't be here talking to you guys today. Absolutely. Yeah, so if, if you're okay talking about obviously, like I've heard this story and um, I'm sure lots of people have heard the story and we've seen the Sportsnet features and honestly, but could you tell just for the podcast, um, like the story of the injury and that week or what you don't remember, like I've heard? Yeah, yeah. I mean, telling the story from my point of view, uh, I remember the game of four um, in Brampton. We had a, an away game and my parents came to watch and I remember I had a pretty good game again or very early on in my career and saw my parents said bye to them after the game while loading up the bus. And, and then at that point I woke up in the hospital. So the story from my point of view is really quite simple. And uh, mind you that what, what actually happened is I, I was fine after the game of Brampton played went home, don't really remember that, slept, woke up the next day, went to school, all that. I don't remember it, but did that and then played uh, that night against Erie and was hit behind my net. My helmet cracked and fell off and my head hit the metal stanchion that holds the glass in place and was airlifted to, uh, I originally went to Grand River Hospital here in town and then was taken in a helicopter to uh, Hamilton General, which had the unit that could care for me and Spent a, year, a week there, lots of ups and downs. Was lucky enough to avoid brain surgery, which was a blessing in itself uh, that the bleeds were able to absorb back into however that works and uh, went home from there. It was a pretty traumatic event, that's for sure, for a lot of people in my life, but was able to, to get through it. So, yeah. For sure. So um, now, how, uh, go ahead, Keith. How would you um, explain to the listeners the the mental side of all of that? Because that's a really traumatic event for, like you said, everyone, and especially like for you. Um, what was your mindset going through it? And I know, um, watch after watching the video, especially the Sportsnet video and all of that, and even your the, your podcast too. You said that, or the doctor said that you don't, they don't know how, but you're able to overcome something that a lot of people can't. Now, you might not be able to explain how you did it, but how, what do you think your mindset, or do you think it was your mindset that really got you through that whole situation? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, on a biological, neurological level, I can't really explain how I was able to recover the way that I did. That being said, there's, there's a lot of connotation or association with the dark room when it comes to head injuries. You know, you end up in the, your bedroom or whatever you want to call it, you know, in a dark place, both physically and mentally and stay there until you feel better then come out. And that was the approach early on when concussion hit the scene in 2009, when there was, unfortunately, my injury was, was on TV there. Then Crosby's came along and David Booth and then you had the Quebec league hit and so on and so forth. That's when there was a spotlight on this, on this issue. Um, at that point, it was the dark room, right? Just wait in that dark room until you feeling better. And I didn't even have the, in being completely honest, I didn't even have the chance to go to the dark room. I had too much support all around me. And what started to evolve at the same time was this courage and desire to push the needle even more. And why not? Like I had support everywhere. And so I was able to maintain that energy and will to, to forge on. That being said, it, it doesn't mean it was easy but definitely the support was there. So to go into the specific mindset of what I, what I was doing, I mean, I don't, at the time I couldn't articulate what I was doing. Like I can articulate it now as I've tried to study people that have been through trauma and, and trial and tribulation and come out the other side, I can articulate it a little better, uh, but really my mindset was fueled, I think by something deeper than hockey. And I think that's where we fall into issues in life as we try to rationalize, uh, rationalize things and motivate ourselves through rationalization. And I think we're, we're not rational beings. We're emotional beings. We have a motivations we can't explain. We have a will to do something or a will not to do something. And we can't explain why it's no different than the getting up at 5 AM in the morning example of that's not that difficult. If we all go right now for an able-bodied person, have you uh, go lay in bed and say, Hey, get out of bed and, and stand up and go walk to the kitchen. Well, if we all did that right now, it wouldn't be difficult yet. At 5 a.m. when it's minus 30 outside, all of a sudden it's difficult. But that's everything else is the same, but our mindset's now different. And so it's the way we can, you know, we try to rationalize by just talking to ourselves and saying, just get out of bed, just get out of bed, you know, keep grinding, keep pushing yourself. And I think I was not consciously aware of it, but fueled by something so much deeper. You know, there was obviously, and this part of it isn't the most healthy, but there was a bit of an ego issue there. You know, I was supposed to be this professional athlete one day that's what people were telling me a young naive 16 year old of course I believed it now so that was part of the thing that was fueling me like that is so much deeper than hockey that is so much deeper than being an NHL player that is like a very human intrinsic uh, thing that ego so that's one part the other part was proving to my mom you know the most important person in my life that I was healthy and that I was going to be okay so the fact that I was going to the gym twice a day for a year and a half to get back to full strength actually stronger so that I would, I would be safe if I ever returned. Uh, doing that, that wasn't to be an NHL player. That was to prove to my mom that I was healthy. So again, so much deeper than hockey. At the time, I didn't realize that. Uh, but it was stuff like that that was fueling me to keep going. It was, it was layers so much deeper than hockey. And I think sometimes we forget about that. We think we're these rational beings. You know, I just tape a picture on my wall of, of me in the NHL and then just focus on that. You know, maybe that could work, but if we can dig a little deeper and find that, uh, fuel ourselves with those feelings, right? Our emotions, something deeper than hockey, uh, can really, that's when you kind of find you have energy you didn't know you had. That's when you find you can do things you're scared of, even though you're feared. I think one of the sayings is, uh, 
it's something along the lines of you have to have fears to be courageous or something you have to have something along those lines and i think it's it's so true it's not about not having fears it's about finding ways to work through them and if you have a reason deep enough then you'll be willing to venture through that fear that discomfort and it was a it was a healthy balance that i didn't know again i was lucky to have it a healthy balance between something really deep inside of me that i wanted that stuff i just listed and then also incredible endless support from everyone around me which not everyone has and i wish um, i had one person i probably won't ever be able to do that but i just wish people can find that in their own recovery whether it's concussion illness injury um, yeah because it's pretty we're seeing more and more i mean if you just listen to my podcast the amount of things that happen that aren't supposed to happen yet people find a way to to make it happen is pretty pretty cool for sure yes yeah, so, so something i'd like to touch on that you kind of you kind of brushed upon but didn't specifically mention is <laughs> the uh, triathlon you trained to do before you return i believe that's correct and um yep. so i've had my own personal experience with severe concussions and not to the extent of of yours i'm sure like no brain bleeding but um like close to 100 days of school missed in a year and uh after that you obviously need to take a step back and i found it very hard mentally because i didn't have anything to strive for you know i um and i didn't have anything really that i cared that much to get back to and it took me a couple of years mentally and i was a young kid but at the same time it was really tough and it brings stress uh stress anxiety depression all that with that but then once i found to be driven to something and that just ended up being hockey later in life and was that was the triathlon that for you like um or just getting back to hockey but was that if you know what i mean what's your opinion on having something to drive through to keep you yeah, yeah it's, it's i think from my own research on what's happening there and what happened for me was as you said this there's a there's a space between where we actually are and where we where we want to be or or where we think we are but we're not actually there um that in that space discomfort anxiety and depression kind of fill that space you know i wish i was an nhl player but i'm not i'm all the way over here so what fills that space is anxiety and depression so in, instead of constantly focusing focusing on this long term goal that's outside of us that's way far away from us um, to bring something to find something that you can put in front of your face and tackle that not only helps you build momentum and we can we don't even need to dive into the science on that or the psychology but if we can put something right in front of our face that we can tackle right now that gives us purpose that gives us motivation that gives us desire it gives us the feeling of accomplishment and if we can do that what else more we're we're taking a step towards our goal you know it's a small step it's accomplishing something but we're now closer to that long far off goal that we were you know just enamored with you know a second ago we're now accomplishing something right in front of us something we can do right now something we can be the best at right now there's a lot of value in that. I think it's a dangerous territory to be constantly focused on that long-term idea. Is it healthy to do it every once in a while? 100% because it puts our feet on the ground and allows us to normalize, you know, the insignificance of how okay, yeah, one day I'd love to play in the NHL. Chances are I'm not going to. That's important to reflect on. It can be inspiring. But it's not something you want to be enamored with and constantly have in front of you. You want to have those things you can actually tackle. And I didn't again being able to articulate this now. I had no idea that you know going to the pool, running laps around the Kitchener Auditorium, you know, sixty times to equal X amount of kilometers to make sure I got my training in. Like those were things I could tackle and 
in a compass right in front of my eyes. Was it getting back? Was that me stepping on the ice as a Kitchener Ranger again? No, not even close. But it was something I could tackle, and that's what kept me going. So uh, that basically what you're saying is exactly that. Like, yes, that far off goal is important every once in a while, but we need to make sure we keep in our sights right in front of us is what we can accomplish right now. For sure, yeah. So I think yes, that's on... what the. That's what the, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. I'm just oh, saying no to answer your question. Yeah, that's what the, the triathlon was. Did I know that that's what it was doing for me? No, I thought it was a way to get him in shape and get strong. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, and I think to like piggyback on what you're saying there, I think a big part of it is, is acceptance and um, knowing that some things aren't realistic at points like you can i think well what i believe personally is that if you really want something bad enough you can go and do it but then again there's also roadblocks that you have to accept that maybe might make things might swerve your path a different way not meaning like you you'd still end up doing what you want but maybe the thing that you want isn't what you originally thought it was yeah 100 percent uh that's an interesting point in a sense of uh, our society's been shaped to focus, like we just talked about, on that end goal, like that ideal, what you know, what it's going to feel like when I get there. And I think it, the reality is, is we're going to look through it at, in a certain lens and, and think it's going to feel like something and be something. And then once we get there, we realize, well, this isn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. And then now we have to keep looking further and live in the future again of, okay, what can I accomplish? And I was just watching it interesting video the other day of a professor from back in the day who's no longer with us named Alan Watts and he's got videos all over the internet his old uh, lectures are online on YouTube if any if any of your listeners are interesting it's really powerful stuff and, uh, anyways he talks about you know we're, we're always so focused on the future or on the end goal that as soon as we get to that goal we're no we're not even there to enjoy it we're already focused on that next goal so what we're working so hard and you know and he puts it in his video, you know, we're in grade eight and now we have to move on to high school and then chase high school. And then from high school, we have to chase university. But when we got to high school, we didn't even get to enjoy the fruits and fulfillment of high school because we were so focused on getting to university. And then we get to university and we graduate university, but we're not even really there enjoying it. We're focused on becoming the CEO of a company. And then we actually become the CEO of a company and we're focused on the next goal of having a, you know, three sports cars and et cetera. So we're never actually in that moment to enjoy it. And, um, you know, that, that plays into this whole discussion, right, of, of you know, what we are um, able to persevere through, why we're persevering through it. And um, as you said, you get there and you didn't, don't even know if this is actually what you want to be, if this is what you were working for. So uh, all in all, and coming back to, you know, the original topic, I think the issue with us focusing on that end goal, you know, it might be unrealistic. We may never get there. I think it, the root uh, issue or, or what we should discuss in that in that whole idea is the value of the journey right because it really doesn't when we get there we know whatever the value is and whatever the fulfillment is of that goal will taper off at some point we know that to be true right so if that's the case and we know that that's true then we should probably start focusing on the journey because that's something that's you know invaluable like what i went through yeah maybe i never made it to the nhl but the people i met the relationships I forged, the things I overcame, the things I learned, and the things I'll keep with me forever, you can't buy. And that's the, and we put value on that journey. If you, if I just sit here and reflect on that, you know what, that feel, feels pretty freaking good. 
Um, I think that'll stay with me longer than if I would have played a couple NHL games. So, um, yeah, to answer your question, I know it was a long, convoluted way of answering it, but to put value on that journey as opposed to the end goal is important. It's not easy, but it's something I think we need to change in our society. For sure, yeah. Just to put my two cents on that, like I don't want to keep on repeating stuff, but the combination between a positive mindset and attainable goals can really put you anywhere. And you have to be smart looking forward for any listeners. It could be, you know, athletics, academics, relationships, anything like as long as it's attainable and you have a positive mindset, it's truly powerful to, to do, I feel, have that mindset. That's the healthiest way to approach it. Again, that's not easy, but if you, like I was lucky enough to have an ultra marathon runner on the podcast and it talked about exactly what you just said, like is, is he would do, I forget how many times he did the Toronto marathon five five or six times let's go with six just in case to not devalue his his incredible <laughs> insanity um like to do six marathons is absolutely ridiculous but is it ridiculous for me to find something off in the distance and run to that and then do it again and again no that's not ridiculous so when you put all those little off in the distance runs together you get six marathons in a row without stopping okay yeah overall that's ridiculous but like you said in a relationship in sport and business when you break it down, each little task on the way there isn't insane. But then, you know, you start a Fortune 500 company and people say that's insane. Well, yeah, from a very bird's eye outward view, yeah. But if you break it down, the little things inside aren't that crazy. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. So do you, uh, like, switch just moving on and we want to uh, go through your story in order, right? And uh, let's just jump into your transition to we obviously know you returned you finished your hockey career became the captain but what was your transition like after and um i understand we watched in the sports net that you were the assistant coach to waterloo is what is that what you jumped in right away or what was your transition i did a bit of everything i was a lost soul i'd say to today even still a little bit of a lost soul trying to navigate what i want to do you know with the this exciting you know you become i'll put in quotations an adult you know you have your degree and the world's supposed to be your oyster kind of thing. And it's, it's not easy to navigate what you want to do. Um, so when I left the game, it was, I, I didn't know, I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. I knew it was time to move on, but I didn't know what I liked, what I was good at, what I enjoyed, what made me happy, which is unfortunate to say, but true. And so the, the only thing I did know is I wanted to give back to this community because I, like I said, initially is I had people support me that didn't know who I was. I've got a moving box at home and excuse me, my parents' house. Uh, chock full of letters from around North America from when I went through my injury like I that's what empowered me so I knew with my life I wanted to one day put food on my table while empowering other people I'd say I'm moving closer to that with some projects I'm working on not quite there yet full-time so that I so anyways that's what I knew I wanted to do so I tried a bunch of different social ventures that didn't quite work out Uh, fitness program coffee shop cleaning company all that had a, a social impact side to them and then one day, my one of my best buddies said, you know, why don't you start a podcast? You love speaking, empowering others, and most importantly, you love working through problems. So why don't you try and pair that together? You know, 87 episodes later, you have Heroic Minds, which started started literally as a crazy idea, a hobby, throw it at the wall, see what sticks. People enjoyed it. The experience has been remarkable, has changed me 100% as a human being. Uh, I would like to say made me that much better for sure. Um, and now that's evolving into its own thing. So 
that's kind of the journey, mind you. The work I was doing at the time, I got into bartending a little bit, which was which was fun. Uh, made some good connections and, and experiences there, which was cool, just at a local bar. Uh, then I got into doing some skill, hockey skills, got into coaching, got into coaching at a prep school here in town. So, and then now I'm the assistant coach of the men's hockey team at the University of Waterloo, which is uh, awesome, very humbling opportunity to say the least. We have some pretty remarkable young men coming through that program doing outstanding things academically while also balancing community involvement and balancing academics. It's pretty cool to see. So, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and just to touch on UW, we just talked to Andrew Hoff's episode came out on Wednesday or uh, it was actually yesterday it came out and he talked about how much those athletes are really balancing. And I think it, it must be so nice to have you as assistant coach. And I'm, I'm assuming you talk a lot of mindset with them and I'm sure that helps a lot. Uh, for hockey players because they're balancing so much at the e-sport level yeah yeah I try to be you know as the assistant coach you can kind of be the good cop more often than not whereas the head coach can more or less be the quotations bad cop as much as our players I believe love playing for for our head coach Um, it's it's I can bring more of that side into it you know I'm more in the locker room a little more often with the guys talking everyday stuff as opposed to just the execution of the game stuff uh, which our head coach does as well, but you guys know what I'm saying. So that's yeah. been a really fun relationship with with the players. And now that I've been there for a couple of years, you start to see the ones you got, you made some great relationships with, move on and do other things and start their careers outside of the hockey world, which is which is really cool to see. Obviously, an area that I'm passionate about. Uh, I think that's an area we can do a lot of work. Is that transition stage? Because for me, and it wasn't easy. That's for sure. I know there's a lot of work to be done there. So to see that now with people my age and a few years older a few years younger it's cool to see those successful transitions from playing hockey to new things and where where so you talked about how started the podcast your friends suggested that where did the heroic minds come from what made you decide to create that and did it just start with the podcast or how did that start i actually had the podcast going with no idea what it was going to be. Um, yeah, I remember when we did come to the name, because I knew the name had to be sweet, like the name had to be badass. I knew, and I wouldn't let myself sleep without thinking of it. So it was honestly, I think two weeks of writing things down and different ideas and different concepts and having to push myself away from it because I couldn't just force myself to be creative. It's kind of, it's one of those things you have to think of, you know, while you're having a shower and it'll just pop into your head. And that's what happened. I was sitting at a coffee shop with that same individual. His name's Ian Bigford. Absolutely uh, astounding young man who's finished, just finished his MBA at Laurier. He's got an awesome story himself. Went to Australia, had his car broken into, had everything stolen, had to work his way up from coffee shops to bartending, started a business there, came back. He's amazing and he's a genius. Um, So I was sitting with him at Averb just up the road from me in Waterloo. And I was sitting there and then popped into my mind. I wrote it down. I asked him, I'm like, Ian, what do you think of Heroic Minds? And we just were like, that's the, we tried to prove it wrong. That's instantly what we did. It's like, okay, why isn't that good? Because it sounds unbelievable. Why isn't that a good name? We tried to prove it wrong and said, okay, that's it. And I'll never forget that because it was so stressful making sure we had the correct name. Not that that is important in business by any stretch, but to me it was for this and, and I'm happy with it, but that's how the name uh, name came to be. Uh, it, it stemmed from we would 
I was looking a lot at the philosophy of the hero's journey. If you think about it in regards to the stories that we discuss on the podcast, every single one of them follows the hero's journey. So that's where the hero yep. side fell into fell into the name. For sure. That's a, a lot cooler story than uh, than how we got our name. <laughs> <laughs> Nate and I were just sitting down on a FaceTime call, just literally saying things right on the top of our head. <laughs> Finally, just I was like charged phone show, and then they was like charged up, and then that's what that's basically how it happened. But I love it. Man. I love it. The story <laughs> when you can tell the story with it, it's pretty cool. That that gives it its its power. That's marketing one hundred and one, right? Like give something a story and you know and what's a check mark a check mark's nothing but then you pair the story of nike with it and you're like oh okay wait a second <laughs> yeah yeah you you really paired um your heroic minds thing into like a product because i was on your website um you have like your own merch um brand there and the logo is like super clean like you can notice it anywhere so how how was that kind of created um along the way i i by no means am I trying to pump my tires. I was I still consider myself lucky that things worked out logo wise. I would say because and even in schooling was I the and I've just started my master's. So like academics hasn't been my strong suit. Uh, I think I'm a very visual learner and often schooling is very literature driven as opposed to um, visual visual learning, right? Um, so it's more linguistics and I Again, visual guy, visual learner. I like to think I have a, a knack for style somewhat in clothing. I mean, we could, it'll be a coin flip now as I start that business to see if people enjoy the, the apparel or not. Uh, so I, I, that's why I wanted to go down that avenue. And so I think honestly, it's just been a bit of a knack being a visual learner and visual guy that I wanted to, you know, to me, the logo itself, if you think of heroic minds, the, the left side is just a, a human's body. That being said, the limbs aren't attached. The head isn't attached. The limbs aren't attached. And it, I think that shows, you know, it doesn't look like there's a gender involved in the logo at all. It's just, it just shows of a human. And if anyone listen, knows or listens to the Girl Points podcast, it's people with, without limbs, with, you know, from all different types of the world, all different uh, ethnicities, the list goes on. Um, it's just humans in general. And then the mind side is just the, the idea of the brain. So I thought, how can I get the point across in the most simple, rational way? And, and those are the two symbols I had. Obviously, that symbol with the, the human side carried over to the heroic logo is that I wanted to show forward movement. And I wanted to show that it represents anyone. So again, that's why you have the 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 display of what i guess the body looks like again limbs aren't attached it's forward movement and it represents to my approach and my belief every type of human being that that has ever existed yeah, yeah. that's great oh, that's, that's really cool to hear behind the logo right a lot of people listening and us too like it's a it's a cool logo obviously but to hear what that represents and you learn about the hidden i don't want to say hidden meanings but things that you think about mm -hmm. in the back of your mind that aren't um in your consciousness and that's that's so cool and for everyone Thank listen make, sh make sure to go check it out uh heroic minds apparel um yeah they're really cool stuff and jumping into the your masters would you like to what what was that and was that kind of the same field or yeah good question uh i enjoy talking about this because my, my mom laughs her head off because it was getting doing high school with again back when i was so focused on hockey 
anything other than hockey was like not that important, right? Unfortunately, that sounds terrible and it shouldn't be that way. Um, but I got through school fine. You know, I had, I got my B's and B pluses and I thought that was adequate. I didn't put too much more time into it because I wanted to focus on hockey. Uh, and then when I got to university, it was kind of the excitement of these, you know, social ventures and, and transitioning in life from being this hockey player to other things. I was, while I was uncomfortable and scared of what I was going to do, um, it was still kind of exciting. And uh, a time where I was complaining that I had to finish my degree, right? I would always complain. And so school was, uh, as much as I did well enough, we'll say, I'll put that in quotations because that differs for other people. Um, school was a bit of a battle with my mom. I'd always text her and complain, like, why do I have to do this? This is ridiculous. And here I am starting my master's of counseling psychology. And I text my mom all the time, like, mom, I'm loving school. And the irony now is that I'm, I wish I could read that textbook all the time. I wish I could, you know, even to the point where I would put it on top of hockey. So how the world works and how life works, you know, was hockey was everything. Now it's kind of like, honestly, I probably want to learn about psychology more than I want to do anything with hockey. So that irony is just too much of my mom's mom's obviously proud and happy, but definitely laughs it laughs about it. Um, so yeah, I started my master's in counseling psychology. How am I going to leverage that? How am I going to use that? That's what people ask. I'm not sure. I, of course I, would maybe get into a company and work and be a counselor. Maybe I'm a contract and work with different groups. My ideal, if I'm being honest with you boys here, is my ideal would be to get into the sporting world and talk about the issues we've talked about today on this call is the sports psychology side. Would love to get into that from the counseling point of view, uh, career transition, uh, career identity, uh, even individuals in sport that may be having relationship uh, challenges, adversities with their partner. Would love to dive into that through the mind of the athlete um, so yeah that's kind of where we'll see what doors open once i do graduate i have uh, two more years to go but we'll uh we'll see where it takes me awesome yeah you seem like a, a really like good speaker and i know you, you kind of dabbled with a little bit of like public speaking as well um how how did you ease into that was it easy for you or did you have to overcome some things or just mind your good, good. Yeah, good question. My my mom had me public speaking at a young age, to be honest. She worked for the town of Oakville where I grew up, and there were different camps and different programs that were run. And at a young age, my mom a little bit pushed me on stage, put me out of my comfort zone to present. And, and it was a big learning curve. You know, I was a young, I forget how young I was when I did my first one, not that old, eight or nine, I think, maybe a little older. Uh, not much and you know talking in front of a full room of uh, at the time adults and it was pretty intimidating i'll never forget that but i think that's why honestly the state a stage and a microphone and a group of people that i have the ability to influence has become my new friday night hockey game i was blessed with the opportunity to play in front of seven thousand people seven thousand incredible people on friday nights and i no longer do that Uh, but that being said you know whether it's a room of 20 people a room of 300 and I'm on a stage that that opportunity to positively influence a, a room has become my new my new Friday night and I absolutely love it so I think that's thanks to my mom having me work on those those or enhance those public speaking skills from a young age so now it's just geez give me a microphone and a stage anywhere and I, I'll hop into it I, I really enjoy it yeah that's awesome and um we will we'll slowly get into the podcast obviously it's all the whole episode is uh revolving your podcast a little bit but i personally listened to episode 84 i believe it was with 
the retired um, Niagara Hamilton police officer. And that was yeah. a lot. Oh, and I was so moved by the episode. Firstly, that was, um, that must have been so cool for you and moving like to be there live and hear him speak about his experience and how how traumatizing that is and how he's pushed through that but i was also so impressed that that was all live like that was very impressive and like how like what what's your biggest audience what's your not like just someone who's curious like you i've looked at your affiliates and it says mcmaster university of waterloo is that typically where you're speaking uh, yeah, universities, some some companies that aren't listed on there. I've been lucky enough to talk with some sales teams, athletic teams. Was just two, three weeks ago. Was lucky enough to do a presentation, obviously virtually due to this pandemic, with the men's soccer team at Buffalo State, which was an awesome opportunity to get into the NCAA world. Um, to be honest, I enjoy uh, I, as much as I love working in the athletic world. It's cool to venture outside of that and also deliver value. And I think that's, again, brushing my ego a little bit that, you know, I came from this athletic world, but let's show my value outside of sport. Can I do that kind of that challenge I put on myself? And to so to be able to enter a room where sports isn't the be all end all and sport isn't the most important, can I still provide value to that room? And, and I've been able to, to do that. And I, I take a lot of pride in that. So yeah, various different groups, church groups. Uh, I always try to get into schools around Kitchener-Waterloo, of course, that is the community that supported me. So yeah, a bit of every everything. Yeah, it's awesome. I also think it's important to uh, for people listening as well that like don't get us wrong, we're still super young and have our whole lives in front in ahead of us. But one of the most important things that stuck with me when thinking about a career and what to do down the line is find what you're good at and just pump it out. Just keep doing it. And the things that you're not good at, like a lot of. Um, I read this in a book, uh, Millionaire Success Habits, Habits, and it was really good. But the main point was a lot of people focus most of their time on things that they're not good at to improve those when they're not really focusing on the things that they are good at, when the things that they are good at are the things that are going to make them be the best selves that they can possibly be. So I think, for example, you're really good at speaking and all of that, and you're, you did a podcast, and you you recognize that those things connect, and you're doing an amazing thing with that. And I think um, for everyone listening, that's that's a, a little tip, too, is focus what you're good at and keep doing what you're doing there. Yeah, it's kind of the approach of, that's a good point, like leverage, leverage the tools you have as opposed to reaching out to think you need to be the jack of all trades, right? The, the old saying, jack of all trades, master of none, right? Like, realize what you're a lot of people have said that you know there's different approaches to the conversation but i think there's a lot of value to that is don't overcomplicate it and think you need every even to start a company every skill in the world to do well i can't run a company because i'm not an accountant and i can't run a company because i'm not a marketing professional well but you're selling something that that'll come like offer something people need or want and the rest will follow suit right if people are willing to give you uh, something in return for your value that's business right there so I think you're a pretty mature point there for sure. Um, what have you, this is kind of a tricky question to word, but obviously you're still very involved with hockey and has there ever been a point where you debated just walking away completely and moving on? And like I said, I've dealt with those concussions and I'm sure you've had the same emotions where like you're, you think of just walking away. Cause it's, it's, um, 
affected your life in such a negative way. And obviously you've turned it into a positive and I'd like to think I've done that too, but has there ever been those points in your life? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. When you asked it, great. I know those questions aren't easy to ask. I, I do that every time on the podcast. You want to tiptoe into a sensitive area and ask him. That was awesome. Um, yeah, you know, I, I right out of the gates, I did, that was my approach. And then I think my mindset has become a little bit healthier. And it wasn't that I was upset with the injury. It was just, it was beyond that. It was that, okay, I put all this time into hockey and it didn't work out. Like that was, yeah, there's other details to add, but generally speaking, that was the issue. And to grow up and mature and start to realize I got value out of other things, that's where you kind of balance out that potential, I guess, subconscious anger, you may want to call it frustration type type emotions. Um, I, I think I, you know, when I'm actually come to terms, to be honest, uh, I don't think I ever really consciously thought I'm sick of this. I'm totally stepping away from it. It was more, I think, a break from being honest. It was, I put so much time into this. I, I got so much out of it too. I think that's what I was lucky with at the end is that this community made me realize how much I got out of it, that I wasn't really able to get that frustrated or upset and say, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm getting rid of it. I was really lucky to, to have realized what I did receive from the game, from the community, from what it brought into my life. So I don't think I was ever at the point where I wanted to just kick it to the curb. I think I was just my my mind and body were kind of like, okay, oh, finally I can, you know, step away and take a breath of fresh air and start learning about new things. Like now I've div- taken a dive so far into psychology and philosophy that it's like, now I want to be immersed in that. I think that's healthy to completely get out of the world of having to you know, play hockey every single day and having that expectation. And while you, that was important and I enjoyed it, uh, it was a breath of fresh air, I think, to step away as opposed to getting away from it because I was upset. But that was a good yeah, good question. I have another question that's kind of it's it's a hard one to ask as well, but I'm just thinking do you would you from from your personal experiences would you say that or would you think it's fair to say that um the quote of you don't know what you got until it's gone really changes a lot of people's lives in the, in the sense of um, when the people who go, cause I find this as a, a trend is, and it's an amazing trend and I really respect it. And I wish a lot of people had the idea of doing stuff like what you do for an example, without going through such a traumatic experience. But would you think it's fair to say that the people who go through those experiences and come out of it on, in the green, um, do you think they have the, or they are the people that come out with the more optimistic mindsets rather than people who kind of live life thinking one way but when you go through such an experience you come out with so many new ideas and views on the world yeah i think there are many examples of that Uh, i think just being having an open mind again puts your feet on the ground to allow you to realize the other viewpoints in life and other ways of living and, and when you do give yourself the ability to open up your mind to something, you realize uh, what life's like in someone else's shoes or what life's like without something or maybe even with something that might not be good. Right? Like opening up my mind to what it's like to have millions and millions of dollars like some of my, my past uh, teammates do and that I keep in touch with. Like, so what is it like to have that or in someone else's life to not have something else? 
right? To be, so I think to answer your question, I think that's one way to look at it in an experience where you lose something for sure, but you don't necessarily need to lose something to know. You just have to open up with people and, and hear about other people's stories. Does that mean you've lived it? No, but at least you get a taste of what different life experiences are like. And I think that's where, when I said life, my life has changed in such a positive way from the podcast I've been doing. That's totally why, because I've gotten viewpoints of what life's like for certain people that live in a certain way or have been forced to live in a certain way. The list goes on of all the differences. Um, that's opened up my mind to, to realize the value of certain things or, or why I should stop valuing certain things because I'm realizing, oh, they're not that important. So I would say in, the, in that, that saying, I think the saying is true. I think it's even deeper than that. that it doesn't have to be an experience where you lose something. It's if we can all put down our barriers and learn about what life's like for other people that come from somewhere else, what life's like for people that have lost certain things and open up to them, we'll get a bit of a taste of that. And, and hopefully it brings us closer together like this pandemic is. Like I think the, the reality that all we have is each other, I don't think could be any more real right now. Like we are trying our best to work together, like literally work together, even though we're not physically allowed to work together we're mm -hmm. working together to fix this thing from government to schools, to universities, to hospitals, to coffee shops. Like, how are we going to do this? Well, everyone's been forced to actually work together and it doesn't matter how much money you have. Like the virus doesn't say, Oh, you have more money. I'm not going to affect you. Right? Like all we have is each other. The money's not totally going to help. The education necessarily isn't totally it's, we have each other. We're human beings. Like we're together in this. And to me, that's the most important thing. Our, our, in a sense, our, our secured health or has been taken from us. Right. So like you said, something's taken from you. Well, I've, you know, I, I didn't realize how lucky we were to be able to go and into a coffee shop and take a coffee from someone else's hand. I, I, that was taken from me. So now it's an ace, right? So to answer your question, yes. Um, hopefully this, this experience allows people to remember that. Yeah, that's a pretty humble answer. Thanks for sharing um, that. As we're, we're slowly wrapping up and then it will come soon. Um, is there any things that maybe you've learned from your podcast or some quick stories that you could share that you've learned to, that could stick with us and our viewers that something that they could take away from this podcast? Um, the, I guess there's two things. There's one is, um, and we're seeing this in the pandemic right now is as people approach business or they approach a, a social venture, or they approach a charity, I think one thing that we're going to see change that I've been stirring over for a while, and that's why I've chosen the model I have with, with the hurl Caparel, uh, which we don't need to get into is just, there's ways to do business where it positively affects society just by the way you do business. At the end of the year, you don't have to go back into your uh, bank account and say, okay, now, now that we've made a lot of money, you know, we've raised our margins to make more money than we ever have. Let's go now give $200 to the food bank and feel like we're heroes. Right. There's a way to do business where you're you're actually making a greater impact than that $200 to the food bank because your whole business model is revolving around benefiting society. So however that looks, maybe your service does a little extra to benefit society. And, and to me, that's how business should be. It would be giving back to the community, giving back to customers, giving back to society in a way that, I mean, that society is allowing you to function as a business. They're your customers, they're your people. Uh, so I think that's how business should be approached. It shouldn't be, you know what, let's, let's release a bunch of, you know, 
bad crap into the atmosphere. Let's manufacture as much as we can. Let's, you know, club whales and, and, and hinder the environment or take advantage of people so that we can make a lot of money. And then we'll give back a small portion of that to feel like we're doing something good. I think people are going to see through that now, this pandemic showing, you know, what companies are going above and beyond, but we can see the ones that are right now, what companies are adapting, what companies are so big that it's, it's difficult for them to adapt. Right. So I think that's, that's one thing is for anyone doing business, like it's been a good, good call to action to, okay, maybe my business should function as a positive part of society, even though it is, you know, making a different product, there's, there's ability to do that. We don't have to make money and then donate money later. We can do it while we're, we're um, working. Um, the other side was I was lucky enough to do a podcast with uh, a highway patrol officer from California that was able to save over 200 people from jumping over the Golden Gate Bridge in California and had full on, he lost some people, he was able to save some, but it was remarkable talking with him about what to say and not to say to people that may be struggling mentally with different issues. It, it was since we've, you know, bounced all around the mind in this, in this episode, I thought I would put that in there as something so powerful that I learned. And he said, it's a, what he learned, you know, without training, this was just what he observed in, in endless amounts of people that he talked to that either did or didn't jump off the bridge um, was that all they needed was someone to listen. You know, we're a lot of times we're worried about being ready to say the right thing. Oh, someone's struggling, someone's suffering what do I say? That's usually the first question, right? What do I say to someone like that? What do I say? I don't know what to say. And it's always about us having to say something. And he said, a lot of times these people are, are struggling to be heard. They're struggling with certain things and they want to be heard. They want a voice. And he said, he would just stand there and listen and listen to them talk. And the one thing he would never say is that I understand how you feel because really we don't, we don't know how someone feels. We could mm -hmm. never put ourselves like truly to the, to the nth degree could not actually feel how someone else is feeling. It's so subjective. So to never say, I understand how you feel and never say that things are, I promise you things are going to get better because unfortunately we don't know that. Right. Yeah. Headphones just died. Um, we, we really don't know that. So it was pretty powerful to hear that from someone that, arguably has saved 200 lives from just being there and listening. And I thought that was, that was powerful. So those are my, my two messages of things I've learned as of late and that, you know, within the last mm -hmm. 10. So. Yeah. Wow. Really yeah. That's that's awesome. Thank you for sharing. That's really, really incredible stories. And I hope, I, I hope, and I know that um, people will, people listening will also benefit from those stories as well. Cool. Yeah, I'm just throwing my other headphones one second. Okay. No problem. I think, yeah, I think we're wrapping up slowly anyway. Let's see if this works. I think this should be good. Yeah, here we go. Awesome. Okay, perfect. Do you guys have anything else? Um, yeah, I have one more question that we'll, we'll cut into the next question now. Sure. Yeah. So my, my last question for you of this, uh, this little call is, um, there's a lot of people throughout the world who deal with brain injury and suffer brain traumas altogether have, have problems with their brain. Um, what would you say as someone who for 
if someone were to listen to this right now, who's going through something with uh, some problems with their brain, what would you say to them um, and kind of to help them get through such an event? Sorry, I know that's a big question. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question. I, I think it would be along the lines that we're learning, like even the professionals that are studying the brain every day know only a fraction of what there is to know about their brain. And to me, I look at that in an empowering way. Like we're realizing more and more how resilient and plastic the brain is, which is fascinating. So to not to hang on a hope because hope isn't always the best strategy, although it's a part of a strategy. Um, I think it's important to remember that, that, okay, if something's not working or 10 things aren't working, it doesn't mean that the 13th or 14th thing won't work. Like there's so, to me, there's so much hope when it comes to that we've seen, and I know there's both sides of the coin. We've seen a lot of people. And, and when I say we've seen, I say in the books I've read about the brain and, and in plasticity, so many people overcome stroke and brain injury and trauma uh, through, through even just um, physical practice of certain exercises and certain cognitive tasks and retraining the brain in certain ways that would I be able to sit here and confidently say you could overcome anything? No, I don't, I don't mean that, but the wiggle room to slowly improve and to try new things and, and the evolution of that area of work right now in research is just fascinating because we just don't know where it can go. It's almost magical. It sounds crazy, but you know, I, I was lucky enough to do an episode with um, the neurosurgeon from King, well, from Kingston, but I say the neurosurgeon because he's a neurosurgeon that did the um, brain surgery on Gord Downey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it was pretty, pretty amazing individual and we chatted about a bunch of different things, but one of the most intriguing things from the conversation was, you know, he's done, he himself has done brain surgery on people that he's removed parts of a person's brain. You know, he had to, because of whatever an injury or something, he's removed parts of the people's brain that in scientific textbooks that are still around today would, would suggest that that person will no longer be able to walk. You know, we, we've been told this is the area of the brain that controls the motor patterns and movement. They, you know, they shouldn't be able to walk after this part of the brain's been removed. And he said that an individual I did that to has been, has walked into my office to come see me for the past four years and lives a normal life. So when you hear stories like that, and you look at the research that suggests similar things, again, this isn't for every scenario, but the fact that it's for some, so if it's a, if it's a stroke, if it's a aneurysm, if it's a head injury, if it's a concussion, uh, to me, Again, not relying solely on that hope that, hey, this is going to fix itself. But if I can have the right people around me helping energize me, like like I was lucky enough to have with this community and my teammates, just to have that energy to keep trying new things, who knows what will work? Because the researchers don't know, but they do know that some things are are working, right? So why not have the courage um, to to keep you know in the dark, feeling around and see what's going to work? So uh, that would be that would be my two cents. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. That's, thank you so much for sharing again. And I think, I think that's a good way to, uh, to end off this episode, but we just mm -hmm. want to thank you. This is one of our biggest episodes and it's was truly an honor for us to have you on. Thank you. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Yeah. I appreciate it. And uh, it's been a pleasure. You guys are doing an awesome job and I wish you the best with wherever you take this thing. 